Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Final Word on CGRU 1280 AM in Toronto. It's June 16th. I'm your host, Gabriela Silva-Ponte. Today, we'll be covering stories from BC's new universal coverage on opioid treatments, to Nick Taylor's Canadian Open win, to the walk with excellence that took place this past week. But first, let's take a look at today's top news. First up, a former Harvard morgue manager and four others have been charged with the theft and sale of human body parts. CBC News reports the Harvard Medical School morgue manager, Cedric Lodge, stole dissected parts of donated cadavers between 2018 and 2023. His wife and three others were also indicted. The body parts were taken without the school's authorization or awareness, according to court documents. CBC reports Lodge allegedly took body parts ranging from heads to skin and bones to his home, where they were shipped to buyers through the mail. Harvard deans George Daly and Edward Hundert shared a message on the school's website, which read, We are appalled to learn that something so disturbing could happen on our campus, a community dedicated to healing and serving others. They continued, saying, The reported incidents are a betrayal of HMS and, most importantly, each of the individuals who altruistically chose to will their bodies to HMS through the Anatomical Gift Program to advance medical education and research. They added that Lodge was fired May 6th. The bodies donated are usually cremated, according to CBC. The three others indicted were Katrina McLean, Joshua Taylor, and Matthew Lampy, who would buy their remains in arrangements made via phone call and social media websites. All of the defendants are part of a nationwide network of people who buy and sell body parts that have been stolen from Harvard and an Arkansas mortuary. The lodges appeared in a New Hampshire court Wednesday and were released on personal recognizance bail. Up next, a dead minke whale has washed up in northeastern New Brunswick this week. Residents first noticed the whale on Tuesday night, after which the Department of Fisheries and Oceans has been investigating. CBC reports two residents estimated the whale to be between 6 and 7.6 meters long. Minke whales are not an endangered species, according to the U.S. government science agency, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Their website reads, They are one of the most abundant rorqual in the world, and their population status is considered stable throughout almost their entire range. According to CBC, minke whales can grow to more than 10 meters and live up to 50 years. Canada's population hit a record of 40 million today. Statistics Canada announced that the record would be hit around 3 p.m. in a news release put out earlier this week. The agency is using its population clock, a tool that models real-time growth using factors such as births, deaths, and migration. Chief Statistician Anil Aurora says it is a strong signal that Canada remains a dynamic and welcoming country, full of potential. As we head into Canada Day, this is certainly cause for celebration. CTV News reports Canada is first for population growth in the G7. Statistics Canada says the country grew by more than 1 million people between January 2021 and 2022. 
That annual population growth was 2.7 percent, which is the highest it's been since 1957. Statistics Canada predicts that the country's population could reach 50 million by 2043. British Columbia will be the first province to provide universal coverage for opioid treatments. The National Post reports agonist treatments help people with substance abuse disorders. Health Minister Adrian Dix says in a news release that all B.C. residents with an active medical services plan will be able to get full coverage of the medications. The Ministry of Mental Health and Addiction says the policy came into effect June 6th. The full coverage has been expanded to nearly 2,000 people out of the almost 35,000 who were previously paying for the treatments out of pocket. The National Post reports Minister of Mental Health and Addictions Jennifer Whiteside says that by removing the cost barriers of opioid treatments, it will, quote, stabilize their lives, prevent deaths, and stay on their journey to wellness. Opioid treatment uses medications like methadone, in which the ministry says, quote, pharmaceutical alternatives to illicit drugs are prescribed. And finally, City Council approved the installment of nearly nine kilometers of new bikeways in the city on Wednesday. Deputy Mayor Jennifer McKelvey says in a news release that there is a critical need for safe and connected bikeways in Toronto, and I am thrilled that we are on track to meet Council's goal to deliver 100 kilometers of new bikeways by 2024. This comes after some of Toronto's top mayoral candidates have pledged to remove bike lanes in the run for by-election. CP24 reports candidates Mark Saunders and Anthony Fury have promised to remove bike lanes on University Avenue. Saunders says he also aims to reverse the decision to make Young Street bike lanes permanent. Both candidates have acknowledged that bike lanes cause congestion in Toronto's traffic. Meanwhile, this next story focuses on Nick Taylor's win at the Canadian Open. Taylor is the first Canadian to win at the tournament in 69 years. The RBC Canadian Open went from June 6th to the 11th. Cup standings, Nick Taylor into the top 10. 72 feet ends 69 years of a drought. What a scene. And how about this? It's the longest putt hold by Taylor in his PGA Tour career. Tommy can only smile. He lost to a miracle putt. Amanda. Jim, a scene like we have never seen before. Your country has waited 69 years to watch one of its own bring home its national open. Can you put in perspective what it means to be the one to deliver it to them? No. Uh, I'm speechless. This is for... 
This is for all the guys that are here. Um, this is for my family at home. My wife, my wife Andy, and our son Charlie and Harper. It's uh, I'm very speechless. This is this is the most incredible feeling ever. You just made the longest putt of your entire career to get it done. Can you just explain what you saw and what was going through your body before the putt and when you watched it go in? I had a similar line in the uh, second playoff hole. I knew it was going to be slow with how much rain we've had. Um, I wanted to get as close as I can because Tommy, I thought he's going to make it. For that to go in is unbelievable. I, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. Nick Taylor, turn around. Take this all in one more time. This is for you. Congratulations. What you've just heard was Taylor's winning putt as broadcast by the PGA Tour's YouTube account. Fans had a lot to say about the golfer's success, taking to Twitter and other forms of social media to demonstrate their joy. I spoke to Blake Townsend, who was at the 18th hole when Taylor made the 72-foot eagle putt. Uh, it was it was awesome. Um, uh, I, I was at the Joe Carter home run game. Um, it kind of gave me, it wasn't as big as that, but it kind of gave me similar feelings to that uh, in the fact that it was such an unexpected um, like event, like the actual Nikhilis putt. It was so long. Um, it was kind of sudden. You were not expecting it to go in. So it was just uh, an unexpected uh, rush and it was like finality and it was done and, and uh, the Carter thing was kind of the same thing. You weren't expecting a, a home run and it was like, wow, it's over. Um, and it was, uh, it was an adrenaline rush. Uh, it was madness it was uh exuberation uh yeah it was amazing um it was uh it was huge it kind of felt like every year you go you there's like five well you seem to be like there were two or three good golfers that maybe had a chance like a few years ago now it was you know keep, keep adding one each year kind of a thing so there's about five or six guys you think had the chance to win because um, they let lots of Canadians in, like amateurs and stuff, it was like 20-something Canadians. But really, you'd think about five, six had a legit chance. So you're just rooting for any one of those guys. Um, and I, I knew the date, you know, each year, 1954 was the last time. So it's kind of um, a long time. You you feel the pressure. And at that tournament, you can tell, like in, in American tournaments, um, people are rooting for Americans, but they all, there's so many and they have their favorites. You just feel a sense, uh, with the crowd and the players that everybody is kind of rooting for the same thing. And it kind of never happens. Um, I saw David Hearn come close or at least be in contention on, on Sunday. So, um, it, it, it felt amazing. I'm just glad I was there. Like I didn't happen to miss it or it wasn't not in the Toronto area that year. So it, I was just. I was, it was something I was waiting for, hoping to see it happen. Um, but realistically, with golf, there's 150 people that start a tournament. Um, so to get one of six guys, you know, to win it, the odds are not that good. So you're really not sure that that it might not ever happen for many many years. So um, yeah, it, it felt you felt a part of something, like with the golfers, with all the fans, everybody was rooting for the same thing, which is. Uh, um, a, re a really good uh, feeling. And to have my daughter there uh, with me, who's 15, and she's a young uh, golfer and golf fan. So that was 
amazing because uh, she she was definitely old enough to appreciate it. So um, it felt good that it, it was the right time uh, for us to uh, witness it. So I hope that people. I think it's getting a lot of press. Uh, uh, so I hope it encourages some people to get interested in watching golf uh, and Canadians, young Canadians, and playing golf. Uh, male and female. I take my daughter uh, to see the women as well. The Canadian we were for the Canadian woman, Brooke Henderson. So, yeah, I just hope it inspires people to young people to watch and uh, play golf in Canada. Others, like golf enthusiast Rick Dunlop, were at home when they witnessed the win on television. We were supposed to be golfing that day, and because it was raining, we uh, we decided just to like that, eh, just muck around the house, and then when the when the, the golf came on. We we tuned in and we we just watched it all pretty much. Yeah, we just because my my wife doesn't like golfing in the rain. I always golf with her, and uh, we just we canceled. We golfed the, the next day actually instead. So, but we we just decided just to like whatever happens. I, I didn't think. I just had a hunch it was going to be off and on rain, which it was uh, for that final round at Oakdale. And like it, it doesn't bother me to golf in it, but it does bother my wife. Even for a few holes, she doesn't like it. So we just decided to stay home, and 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 I guess as a consolation, sort of, we just decided to watch the the, the last round of golf when, and just by staying home. It was tense. Um, I was uh, just I didn't, I, you know, I was to be to be honest, I was kind of, I. I I just wanted to see something good happen, like because I like I like Fleetwood too. The guy who he was, who was he was up against in in the in the uh, the, the last four holes in uh, extra holes in the the tiebreaker. Uh, it did it didn't really like you know a lot, most people would tell you yeah yeah go Taylor go Taylor. I just wanted to see like the good competition well. That didn't happen so much. There were some, there were some uh, uh, shots that weren't going where they wanted them to go. But but with that that the putt that Taylor made, which was we all know seventy two feet, it was like we he sunk it. I was like, holy cow! Was like wow, <laughs> great way to win a tournament. It, it was it, yeah, it was, it was a special it was a special moment for for you know Canada golf for sure, Canadian golfers and and um, stuff like that, I guess. When, when Weir won the Masters in, in 2003, at that time, I, I had a set in the corner I was looking at. I was sitting there one day just watching TV, and I looked over in the corner of the living room, and I go, yeah, I got, I need a new bag. I need a new driver. I need new this, new that. And I went and I went into Golf Town and, and splurged on all the stuff that I that I needed. Or so, you know, like what I consider being needed for the, the sport. And then I just started going out and then playing a little more often and stuff. And then, um, yeah, I just, and then a, a year or two later, uh, like, uh, I got my wife into it. I got, I bought her a, a starter, an entry level set of women's clubs, uh, for her 40th birthday. And now here we are 20 years later. Um, we've golfed, like we go, you know, we, 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 we pretty much golf every weekend, weather pending, um, all our vacation time is spent on golf, golfing around the province and stuff. We're strictly Ontario golfers. And since then we've golfed, I have sort of counted, but uh, we've did like hundreds of rounds, probably about uh, close to 500 and 
20 rounds of golf and within the 520 rounds of golf like because we've played some rounds uh some places just once and sometimes you know some courses 20 times whatever right 10 times 20 times 30 times we uh i've we've golfed 182 different courses in ontario both public and a handful of private courses we got a lot of things to we, we got a lot of uh courses to compare each other with for better for worse right so yeah, it's been a it's been an incredible journey for us personally, and um, yeah, I it's just it's it's a fun lifestyle. I don't know what to say, and, and fortunate enough to do it, healthy health wise and you know financially and stuff because it, it does take its toll financially, definitely. Well, it's our it's our personal thing. We enjoy doing it, and I don't know what else to say about that. It's just uh, it's it's a good thing, and I I, I can I can. I can definitely say it's therapy too. Like when you're actually out on the course, it doesn't matter whether it's a good course, bad course. It doesn't matter if you're in the, like the city playing golf where you can hear the drone of traffic in the background or you're way out, you know, let's say way out, in the, out, out of the city or up in Muskoka where it's very uh, serene. Um, it, it's therapy. It, you're not thinking about anything else except for playing golf. It's not like, well, I got to go to work Monday or, oh, I, 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 I got to pay this bill tomorrow or next week. I got to, I got that errand I got to do. Or it, when you're playing golf, you're, you're not thinking about doing anything, but, and, and I've talked, I, I've, I've, I've had this discussion with many golfers over the years and I, unanimously, everybody says the same thing. It's like, yeah, man, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. When you're out in the, when you're on the course, you're not thinking about doing nothing except for taking that next shot. Hmm. Uh, it, it's a good thing for for Canadian golfers and Canada golf in general. Uh, mostly, I'm thinking for at the grassroots level, it gives some of the young and, and new golfers uh, incentive and encouragement to you know uh, think twice about about golfing. Um, you know, they, they they can maybe get successful of it, like uh, like. You know our, our American friends south, south of the border, and um, yeah, I mean it was a, it was a good thing. It was it was a good spectacle. Um, the, that putt was one heck of a putt to clinch it, and it was just it was just all around good, just like a just a good Canadian story, you know. But Taylor's win wasn't the first incentive for younger Canadians to play the sport. According to Lightspeed Commerce, there were 9.6% more rounds of golf played in North America in 2022 in comparison to 2021. COVID-19 is likely to blame for this increase in interest since socially distanced golf courses were considered safe and remained open throughout the pandemic. Finally, this Tuesday, I went out on the field to the Walk with Excellence, an event organized by the Blackhurst Cultural Center. Four schools, including C.W. Jeffries Collegiate Institute, Westview Centennial Secondary School, Emory Collegiate Institute, and Downsview Secondary School, gathered their graduates on a walk to York University.
This event took place to honor black excellence and the overall graduating classes of 2023. The event included performances from school dance groups and speeches from alumni. Mayoral candidate Olivia Chow joined the walk. She spoke about the atmosphere of the event. It's important to have hope. It's important that when we face difficulties or barriers, that not only are we resilient, we say we can conquer it if we stand together. This walk is about standing together. It's about celebrating excellence. It's about uh, coming together and say that we have 10 years of history to do this uh, and we belong here at York University. The energy is incredible, lots of uh, confidence, lots of uh, celebratory mood and uh, really it's, uh, it's joyous, it's fun and uh, affirmation of what one could achieve if you put your minds to it. And you can feel it. It's great. I really want to thank the organizers, the teachers, the principals, the, the school superintendent and QP, uh, the education workers, for seeding this a long time ago and see how marvelous it is now. The energy and the confidence it sparks. It's just incredible. Yep, 10 years of Walk With Excellence. And she wasn't the only one who had something to say about the ambiance. It has, it, it's a really good atmosphere, like, I really like the difference in cultures being displayed, the performances. I even performed myself, that was really good. Like, I just love the energy that's happening right now. The Walk of Excellence means basically being confident in myself and, like, starting a new journey, a life after high school, figuring out what I want in life and how well I'm going to pursue that. Bursaries were also handed out to deserving students who were recognized with certificates and a monetary prize. One student, Michelle Nguyen, spoke on why this award meant so much to her. It means the world. Like, like 2000 is a lot. Like, coming from the Jane and Finch community um, with lower income parents, it's really hard to even get like some money to buy food sometimes, unless it's just home food. Um, so 2000 is really going to help me a lot. I've worked so hard for this. Um, yeah, I've just came such a, like, such a long way. The event celebrated its 10th anniversary. Local journalist Owen Thompson interviewed Blackhurst Cultural Center member and organizer of the Walk with Excellence, Ita Sidhu. She explains the history of the event. I was um, working on a project in the West End and um, very mindful that young people and students, sometimes in high-density neighborhoods, don't get the credit that is due to them. And sometimes people forget that greatness comes from all places and spaces. And so repeatedly in media, um, whether it be print or electronic, you just kept getting the same one story, one narrative of like the Jane and Finch community in a high-density neighborhood. 
So what could we do to change that narrative? And so <clears throat> there are two men who are great uh, freedom fighters and leaders, Dudley Laws and Charles Roach. And one day in the imagination, as I'm driving with my colleague, Shannon Ashman, over the intersection of Jane and Finch, we saw them in the nation and they simply said, demonstration of student excellence, public demonstration of student excellence. So that could only mean one or two things. These are people that led parades, led protests, led movements. So it seems as though there were suggestions that this movement of young people could be publicly demonstrated to show the society their participation in it. And so having seen that in our imagination, uh, we then went to the four core participating high schools, uh, which are C.W. Jeffries, Westview, Downsview, and then Emory came later. And we asked the students outside of the school in the parking lot, if someone were to plan a parade for you to showcase the goodness that you were doing, um, would you participate in it? And the response was, uh, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't, um, I don't think anybody's going to do that for us. And then the second thing was, um, uh, who's going to pay for it? And um, we, when we said to them, somebody will pay for it, then they said, yes, we would participate in something like that with these conditions. We'd like the popular students as well as the smart students to speak. We want it to be a celebration. We don't want to have people to come and tell us the same things they've told us all year. Stay in school, be good. We want real talk. Um, and we want to be treated with respect. And so these were the conditions that we held fast. Because what we're saying simply uh, is that we're saying to students, we are symbolically moving you from secondary to post-secondary. If you go to a university, more power to you. If you don't go, you've gone to death. We are not telling you to go to York, but what we are telling you is it's right there in your neighborhood. You should know it, and they should know you in Beyond Research. But at the end of the day, it really was to impact a narrative um, where young people, because of their postal code, are seen often to be less than and are rather quite brilliant. Walk with excellence, resilience in the face of adversity, and let's let's do it now together. Here we go. A graduation like no other, a year we won't forget. A pandemic brought us closer in ways we won't regret. We faced uncertainty and fear but held on to our dreams. We found strength in each other and a silver lining, it seems. For the future is a canvas. Repeat that line again. One more time. A masterpiece yet to be. One more time. Next slide. And the 
we make, we'll shape our destiny. We'll shape our destiny. Thank you. That's our show. You've been listening to The Final Word on CGRU 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Gabriela Silva-Ponte. This episode was put together by myself and Owen Thompson. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.